Welcome to SUMA Observations and Conversations, a podcast where we talk with artists and curators about what's happening at Southern Utah Museum of Art. I'm Emily Ronkilu, Manager of Marketing at SUMA, and this season I'm joined by Hignett Sidney Lowe, art historian and author of The Spiral Jetty and Cycle and co-curator of This Earth, Notes and Observations by Montello Foundation Artists. This Earth features the work of 37 artists and residents from the Montello Foundation, each contributing their unique interpretation of nature. The exhibition is on view at SUMA through December 23, 2021. In this episode, Hickman and I meet with Michael Iacuvoni and talk about his work in This Earth, his process and how he learned geometry to make art, and connectedness and solitude during the retreat. We got to chat with Michael while he was in town for the exhibition opening. So, welcome back to the podcast. We're here today with... Mike Yakiavoni, and we're here to talk about his work in this earth. So happy to be here with you. Thanks for being here, here. Mike. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, Mike, your work has been included in the section. You know, we've got these four broad themes within the exhibition, and yours is in dialogue with nature. This idea that artists are working with natural elements and materials, transforming them with their presence. So your work is a really sort of stunning photograph. Can you describe what your work is to us? Because it looks like there's an overlay of a pattern on a playa desert. And we're very intrigued by that and want to, you know, sort of talk to you and get more information. Okay, that, that is one big question, yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, the work in the show is, is Part of a series I've been working on for six years. Uh, all of them are done in the Bonneville Salt Flats um, in western Utah. And they're all um, lines and circles and geometric shapes um, scribed into the salt with a garden tiller. So the only the only um, material is is what's there is the, the salt and the the mud underneath the salt. And what I do is, uh, I, it's kind of backbreaking labor, but just a handheld garden tiller, which is uh, um, three sets of spike wheels, and you kind of roll it on the ground and it'll break through the salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes like three or four like, swipes at it to break it up, and then the last one, I go real fast and the salt kind of spits out. And so the, the dark lines underneath are kind of the, the, the mud underneath the salt flats there. Um, but the lines themselves um, have evolved quite a bit. They started off as um, Euclidean geometry. Their first two years, um, uh, they were all straight geometry, but the more recent ones are about um, making systems of, of measurement and scale based on the, the setting sun. Um, and this past year, I haven't finished these yet, they're about tracking satellite paths, um, which are another set of big circles. Um, but it there's a lot of 
there's a lot of years of kind of nerdy research and study that kind of went into it. Um, so I'm kind of a map nerd and I've always been a map nerd and I love to travel. Um, and I did a, a, like a land art road trip six or seven years ago where I, I spent a night at the Lightning Fields, which is amazing, mm-hmm. and, uh, Spiral Jetty and the Sun Tunnels. Um, and I got very close to, uh, to uh, um, Michael Heiser's city piece where you, it's not open yet. You're not allowed to get it to it yet, but sure. I took a very, very long dirt road and I got very, very close. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. Uh, before there was a very clear no press trespassing sign. Yes. It was about a half a mile away, and I turned back. Um, but I, uh, on that road trip, I made it through the salt flats, and um, it was, I was just really struck by it. You know, once you once you get out in the middle of it, it is like just being in a big white void. Um, and you see the mountains all around you, which are quite far away, and just big, vast, open skies. And I'm always there in June and July, so it is almost always very, very hot um, and very, very bright. Uh, and it's a very, it's a, it's a really overwhelming and, and humbling experience to to think about your own scale in this space. Um, and I just couldn't get enough of it. So, uh, along with finding that space. I had also been looking at maps uh, of Nevada and seeing the the bomb testing sites from Google Earth, and they're really fascinating to me, and you can't get to most any of them. There is a bomb uh, right north of Wendover um, near Pilot's Peak Mm -hmm. that you can get to that bomb crater, which is kind of awesome. But I was really fascinated with that, and when I was looking at these on Google Earth, uh, it just looked like geometry. Like the bomb craters are just these perfect circles. And then there's these roads going to them, which because it's just open desert, they're just straight as an arrow. Um, so it just really struck me that they look like geometry. And then it also reminded me of the Nazca Lines in Peru. So if you're not familiar with the Nazca Lines, you might have seen like, there's, there's a lot of these in the high desert in Peru. There's... Uh, there's a monkey and an orca and a parrot and a spider and all of these animals drawn into the desert. Uh, some of them are, are, are 1,600 or more years old. And it's the, I believe it is the driest place on earth. And 1,600 years later, those lines are still there and visible uh, from above. Uh, but even more interesting than that, and those are the famous images, but even more interesting than that are these incredibly straight lines that go on for miles and miles, and then there's other geometry drawn in that desert. Um, much, much, much bigger. Like some of those animals are as big as like a football field, which is huge, but then these lines go on forever. And once you get to one, you look, and it literally just goes on forever. So I, I went, I kind of took a little pilgrimage there and got up in a airplane that made me very nervous to to fly over him and take some pictures of him uh, and so I did a lot of studying of that and there's there's other earthworks you know around the world that of people drawing in in the earth um, that are still there and um, you know millions that are not still there so it really I really thought about those and the scale of those things um, and how and the the and how the, they've been studied for years and they haven't really decided a use for them yet. 
So these lines are not paths. It's not a trail from one town to the next. They're not trading posts. It's it's this big this big kind of geometry. And so um, I went to a math teacher I knew I teach with, and I said, "Can you teach me geometry?" Um, <laughs> That's and, awesome. And um, she said, "No." <laughs> Essentially, she said, "Here's a book." And so, you know. Um, I kind of retaught myself some geometry and it was really fascinating. And then I did some research and I really kind of fell in love with Euclidean geometry. Um, and the, the thought of it, and it really, it seemed like, aside from them being kind of beautiful, like elegant equations, you know, with circles and lines and triangles and figuring all those things out and really how all those shapes relate to each other, which is really fascinating to me. But then kind of studying the, the history of math and Euclid and, and why these people were so fascinated with these things. And I think there's this underlying, underlying uh, notion of trying to figure out more than we can see or things that are beyond ourselves. And in some cases, those, that's a part of, their, of a religion and convening with somebody else or somebody more important. Uh, but in others, it might be proving that that doesn't exist. Um, and either way, it's trying to prove more than we can fully understand. Then also the Nevada bomb testing sites. I mean, that's also a, a way of of this kind of exerting more than, than we are capable of. And the way that they're testing these things. And of course, seeing them is humbling as well, and it's a little scary in some ways and thinking of destruction and all that sure um but how all these things related and of course i you know um i have uh, a lot of art history classes under my belt and land art and i the 60s and 70s are really my favorite period of art and um conceptualism and once all these artists left new york city and did bigger Mm -hmm. things it's it's really some of my favorite stuff um, so it, I decided, man, I got to go find out how to work in that space. And so that next summer I went out there and I, I went to a hardware store and bought a bunch of tools and tried to figure out how to do this. And I saw a garden tiller and I grabbed that and that's the one that worked. Uh, so that first summer I said, oh, I'm going to make these big equations and I made them and I brought a drone with me and I took pictures of them and each one would take me four or five hours to make. And I thought, wow. I made something so big, and then I go all the way back to DC and I look at it and I say, that's not big at all. And it's not big because I can see it all. Right. If I can see it right. all, then that's not good enough. And so each year I'm making them bigger and bigger. Uh, and then just thinking more about the space and thinking about uh, Nancy Holt's sun tunnels, which are uh, geographically only maybe 40, 50 miles from there, uh, but it's hours to get there. Sure, exactly. Know. Um, and thinking about all of these things coming together, and if I'm making something small enough that I could see myself, then that's not that's not doing the job that I wanted to do. And I and I would make these systems and put myself in this system and say, okay, I'm going to make this thing no matter how long it takes, and try to make all these drawings that would take me a day. And then I thought, well, it doesn't have to be a day; it could be much bigger than that. And then I realized that I have to make things that are bigger than I can see. And I, w- I know I can't make something that goes on forever, but I can imply something that goes on forever. 
Um, not unlike the lightning fields, when you're in the lightning fields, you know it's only a mile by a kilometer, but it gives you the impression that it goes on forever. You can imagine it going on forever. It's not a stretch to do that. So then I've started making things bigger and interacting more with the, not just with the salt and using that as this blank slate, but really, really uh, working with the environment and thinking about what are the things that, what else is there? And the setting sun on the solstice is a really compelling uh, argument to follow there. So then I started making these diagrams thinking if I use myself as, as a scale, as the unit, uh, and really relating everything to myself, then I can ex expand, expand from that. And so these drawings, the, the only unit of measurement is the length of my arms. So that's one unit which sure. is more or less six feet. Um, so the very the piece in the show, the very first circle, the radius is one unit. So I'm just out there with, with a whole lot of string and some stakes to put in the ground. Um, and so you, I have my radius, so I get the fulcrum, I put a stake in the ground and then follow it around to make the first circle. And then that will inform how to make the triangle Mm -hmm. um, and then that will inform the next circle and the next circle and the next circle and they go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to set up this system pointing west so then on the solstice this is a really long answer <laughs> on the <laughs> <But> solstice fascinating. <laughs> thanks I hope so <laughs> on the solstice um, in the afternoon uh, starting at one o'clock I'm measuring my own shadow so at one o'clock I'll stand at the beginning and my shadow will be cast, and I'll draw the line to my shadow, and then keep drawing that line. And as the sun gets closer to the horizon, that line gets much, much bigger, and it forms this really big dramatic arc. And then at the very end, that line, the end of that line is pointing at the sunset mm -hmm. on the solstice. So it's a lot of, I have to, <laughs> it's a lot of, studying and trying to figure this out and having to predict any problems I might have and going over it again and again and again because that piece in particular is I, I think five or five days maybe of work and I'm on site on site ahead of the solstice sure to get ready for this and I have to believe that this is going to work so I really have to do my homework and and make sure it's going to work yeah uh, so then the, the real payoff for me is all of that homework and studying and figuring things out in the, the hundreds of diagrams that I'm drawing and trying to predict any problems and kind of checking my math and thinking about all those things. And then once I get in that system, it's, you know, maybe 14 hours a day out in the desert of just following my own directions. And so I'm not thinking about that anymore and I'm not making decisions anymore other than it's time to take a break or like I should drink more water or whatever it is um, it's just me inside this system and nothing else and there's no other distractions and I'm not on the phone or listening to the radio or anything I'm just alone a hundred percent enveloped in this environment and then it just ends and it's and then I you know, I have a drone up in the air taking pictures and taking video, and it's very easy to program the drone to do that work. And it's, it's 
really kind of foolproof. And then I have a, like a walk back to my car and then a drive back to my Motel 6. And then, you know, about an hour before I get all these images back on my computer. And, and then it's this very abrupt, like, depression. <laughs> it's very, like, it's very, um, it's very satisfying, but also very disappointing that it's over. Yes. That, that, yes. That is sort of a consistent theme in humanity. That sort of, you literally went through this process of creation and that end can be really jarring. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird thing uh, to explain because there is a, a level of satisfaction mm -hmm. um, because it worked and because I made these images and I like them and I they're I like them they show the process but really the image is the artifact and it is not the art it's it's this it's a like a performance piece that no one gets to see. It's just me and a drone, and the the art is over at that time. For sure. Me. And so I'm, you know, printing big photos and making videos and showing people and all that, and I'm proud of those things, but it is, it is absolutely the artifact. Mm -hmm. uh, and that took me a very long time to reconcile. And once I did, it it was very satisfying, and it it justified feeling sad that it was over, kind of. Um, but then it doesn't take me long to get excited to do the next one. Oh, that's great. So I'm uh, curious, how did your time at the residency at Montello Foundation sort of lead potentially to this, impact your process, your practice? Tell us about that. So um, the Montello residency is fairly close to the Salt Flats, although it's about two hours to get there, which out there is not far. Um, and I, I have done a bunch of artist residencies before and I stopped doing them because my ideas for projects were very specific to spaces. Um, like I did a big project on the U.S.-Canadian border and I followed the border for 17 days and documented that and the Mississippi River and all these big things which don't fit into a residency space. So I had stopped applying to residencies, which were always great, but they just didn't fit into my ideas. And I somehow didn't realize there was a residency right there near I was where I was working. So once I saw that, I said, oh, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. And then I have this time to um, go and work on a project and then go to the residency and figure out my next moves for the projects. And then also interact in that space, which is not a blank slate like the, the salt flats are. And to think about my... Uh, myself in a space like that, which is very, very different, and then go back to the salt flats and do another project. And uh, it really being offline, completely offline, and having a stack of very nerdy books with me. Um, a, a friend of mine gave me a, a book on, on Buddhism because he's a Buddhism professor, and he told me I really needed to learn about the bardo. Mm -hmm. And so I, I learned a lot about that, which was really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm not a Buddhist by any means, but it really, um, he and I agreed on a lot of things about the concepts via the bardo, this, this space in between, this kind of, um, this void that's not good or bad. It's this in-between time. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, it's really what I search for in my big projects. And I always want to have a big project that I can dive into and just let the rest of everything wash away. Mm 
Um, so that space gave me so much opportunity to really dive into that. And you just can't take a phone call or look at your email or do anything else other than uh, dive into those things. And of course, I, I, it's a relaxing, beautiful space and I took some nice walks and really in, enjoyed that as well. But uh, it's, it's like a bardo to like focus, hyper focus on the things that you, you are compelled to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we had another podcast with Patricia Watwood who did her series of watercolors partly based upon the Christian idea of Book of Hours. And so she was talking about that practice of the Book of Hours and Christianity and her time there. And now you're talking about Buddhism and this sort of in-between space of the bardo. I think these are really fascinating topics that come together and align with how we feel ourselves or believe ourselves to be part of nature and what that means. Oh, that's really interesting. Her, her watercolors are spectacular. Yes, yes, they're spectacular. Um, and your work is seemingly so different, mm-hmm. right? In, oh, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, but that's very fascinating to me, that idea of quiet and space and spirituality. I think that's kind of this undiscovered theme that we're finding just doing these episodes of the podcast. There's a lot of crossover there between the artists and what we're talking about. Um, I'm interested in kind of just how you described your experience making this work of art where you're silent and, you know, there's no distractions other than you going through this process just hearing from other artists and their times at Montello kind of sounds like that parallels that experience as well where you're there for a week two weeks and just no other distractions and do you elaborate more on that oh it's 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 amazing um you I don't know you know you we get so attached and I'm I'm fully attached to my phone there's nothing I love more than finding information when I think, oh, I wonder what is the industry in Salt Lake City, you know, because I was there, so I don't know what they do or make here. So boom, boom, I can find it. There's nothing I love more than that. It drives my wife crazy, uh, but I'm so attached to it. Um, I did a I did a residency in the Arctic Circle um, seven years ago on a sailboat in the Arctic Circle, which was an incredible experience. But there was 27 artists and writers and musicians on a boat, and uh, one of the writers, she wrote down everybody's Google searches. What would you be searching? And she made this list, and it was such an incredible list, and she read it to us at the end. And it's just all some things that were, oh, very factual. How does this? But then some incredibly inane things or, like, lyrics to a song. or You know, and you, it's just like, yeah, that's what we would have done. But we didn't. And we couldn't. And right. because we couldn't, we had a very, very different experience. So... Was Catherine Coles on that trip with you? No, but they do it twice a year. It's the arcticcircle.org is the name, uh, is the website. I really recommend anybody to check it out. Um, it is, it's incredible. But being unconnected, completely unconnected, gives, like lends it to a very different experience. And again, I like being connected. 
but I love being unconnected. And so being unconnected like that, you really, you really have such a different experience and you have, you have, it's going to be quiet in a great, great way. You fill your time in very, very different ways. And it's, it's really lovely and uh, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. It's not, it's not a vacation by any means, although it is relaxing. Um, but it feels so important to kind of whittle away everything that's not important and, and really just get so hyper-focused on these things and you just, you don't track time and your day ends when the sun goes down. And I mean, every night the sun would go down, I would go sit on the porch and look at the stars for a little while and then just go to bed. And when the sun came up, I woke up and like, oh, that's kind of a lovely way to live. That's not how I live, but it was nice to do for a little while. Um, it's, it's really a special place. And, and the Arctic Circle is the only other time I was completely cut off like that. But I was surrounded by 26 or 7 other artists and, and creative people. So it, it was not by any means a quiet time. So this is similar. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think that is... Fascinating, we've also spoken with Miho Suzuki, who's also in the exhibit. And when we asked her about her time there, she said it was very noisy. And and we said, what? And she said, well, the wind, and it was windy, and the animals, and the coyotes. And, and so it's um, always fascinating to me how we, like what we sort of key in on and how we interpret all of that. And, and so for her, she would seem very sensitive to all of those sounds that were there. And they were a big part of her experience. And for you, it was quiet. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. The, the, the differences, because we're all interpreting nature differently. Yeah. Wow, I never would have. That's, that's interesting. It was like the quietest time ever. So you had mentioned earlier that for this project you learned geometry and kind of what made you interested in that we kind of hear a lot from artists that they're very much not math people and they kind of stray away from that I subscribe to when I do my art I think of it as a mathematical equation I do I have to do this color first then this color and these ratios um, so I'm kind of from that side where it all makes sense to me but kind of yeah how what did you decide you're like I have to learn math for this and now really enjoy it. Um, talk about that, kind of what can you tell artists that try to stay away from math and what can they learn from that? Uh, I'm a huge nerd, so <laughs> I loved it. I love diving in and learning new things. Well, I don't ever sit still. So like a quiet night at home is me learning how to cook something new. I was a chef for a while, so like if I'm gonna fill my time with something. And it's, even if I am watching TV, it's I'm watching TV and learning how to make pickles or whatever it is, I'm, I like to fill my time with stuff. And so that was not at all daunting to me to say like, oh, well, let's, let's learn some geometry now. But it's, I, you know, I, I would think I'm probably on very far end of one spectrum of an artist because uh, things are very, very precise for me. So I have a million drawings and diagrams, but I've never shown that to anybody, 
anybody. And there's a gallery I work with in DC, um, and they keep asking me like, "Why don't let's show your drawings too?" And I'm, and I know I'm going to show them eventually, but I keep avoiding it. Um, Can you tell us why? Because that's it's not done. Oh. It's not. It's not. That's the practice. You know, like you wouldn't. You wouldn't go watch a play if it was just, oh, this is our first day, let's do the reading here. That's not the play. It's we learned all this acting and learned our lines and now here's the play. Uh, you know, the, the same with like a musician. For me, it's it's not done. Uh, and it's, there are errors and I would, and so it's unsatisfying to me. And it's something I learned from, but it is, it's the process. And sure. It is definitely the beginning of the art. All of the, my nerdy research is absolutely part of the art, but everything is very, very front-loaded with me. So it's this all this accumulation of all this research and all of these things I'm interested in, and it's spanning a lot of very different directions, but it's all coming together, and then I'm making the diagrams and figuring out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. By the time I'm in the salt flats, it's essentially, I'm, I'm essentially done. I just have to follow the directions. I wrote the recipe, right. now I just have to follow it. Um, so everything is very, very front-loaded. And if I made an error in one of my drawings when I'm drawing it, I'm done. Like, I'm not gonna fix that. I've made a very big mistake and I need to move on. Mm -hmm. And nobody is ever gonna see that. It is, I, I'm going to be very upset with myself and uh, it has only happened one time, and I and I was like, "What did I? What a waste of time! What a like incredible waste of time and opportunity!" And I'm mad at myself for doing it. And so I need to take more steps to make sure I don't do that again. So I'm very hard on myself, but I really enjoy all of it. But you know, I, I think I'm a very nerdy, very dry artist, uh, and in a lot of ways, I don't it, like showing the drawings. I don't like. I don't like showing the, the hand of the artist in the traditional sense. You know, when you studied like the Renaissance painters and they'd make a self-portrait and their hand would be in there because this is the tool. Exactly. And for me, it's, that's, I, I respect all of those things and I respect artists who do that, but I can't do that because I don't want to rely on, on that skill as the crutch to make uh, something that someone might see. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, it's a very kind of anti-art way to make art. And so uh, I started off as a photographer and I got by on being good at photography, but I, I felt like a fraud because people liked the photographs, but I didn't have, there was nothing behind them. Mm. Like it, for me, the idea is way more important and just making an attractive photograph, I don't think is that hard. And I've, I was get in my undergrad years and my first round of grad school, that's what I got by on and I really felt like a fraud. And I, after I got my first MFA and I immediately started another one because I got halfway through that and I thought, I don't care about any of these things. I, this doesn't, this isn't compelling to me, this is just a trick and there's nothing behind it and I need, I need something to be behind it. So um, I don't show anybody the beginnings of anything. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's not locked in a vault or anything and like maybe I'll show the drawings and you know maybe I won't I don't know but that's not in, that's not interesting to me it's the the end is kind of really the only thing I'll show and like I said before it's like a performance piece that no one gets to see mm -hmm. exactly. you know people say why don't you get someone to help you and someone to film and that would just ruin it for me I don't want to be out there with anybody yeah. like that's 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 my me time, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I don't want an intern. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want somebody filming. I don't want anybody's. God, I don't want anybody's opinion. Like if right. someone was like, "Why don't you?" I'd be like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you gotta go. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I went a, I took a turn. That, yeah, I loved hearing all of that. So okay. <laughs> that's great. Great, so yeah, to kind of wrap up here, this is, we've just been asking everyone this question. Um, you were able to see the exhibition last night. Kind of what do you hope visitors take away either from your work or the exhibition in general? Um, I mean, from my work, it's hard. I, you know, the short answer is what do I hope for people to take away from my work? It's always, I would like to think that someone sees my work and then considers what they would do in their own space. Not to say that someone should go out and do a drawing based on their scale, mm -hmm. but just considers, oh, what would it be like if I treated a space differently and, and interacted with a, a space based on something different um, in, in a very broad term, which, you know, I have no idea if that will ever be successful or not, but that's kind of what I'd like um, people to take away from my work. But for the show as a whole, I mean, it's it's a really compelling show with just the, the work is so different, but everyone has, you know, a very contemporary feel to their work and they're, you know, they're all utilizing space and context in a, in a very contemporary way. Um, and I, I really, I really love the show. I really love being part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think some people were really interacting directly with the space at Montello, which is great. Mm -hmm. And that space kind of is very dear to me in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but a lot of the work isn't about Montello. It's about other things and other experiences, uh, which is fine too. Uh, but it is, it's, uh, I think anyone could go in there and really connect in a million different ways. Um, it's not a show about one thing. It's a, you know, the Montella residency is a very broad umbrella. Uh, and the, the artists that, that um, Stefan has, and the people he's worked with have picked have been really diverse, but all so, so interesting. Um, and it, it was just an amazing thing to be part of. And I, I'm really, you know, I've been, you know, I've been in a lot of group shows and a lot of them are really kind of loosely connected or like this is a show about photography or geometry or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but this felt this felt uh, like a much better and more interesting connection than shows like that. That's great. That's great to hear. You know, when Stefan and I were working together and looking at the artists and sort of looking at these themes that started bubbling up and we came up with four, but then looking at the exhibition and really being there and being part of it, we can think, okay, there, there is a broad theme here and a broad theme there, but once you start looking at the artwork, you can start making connections that go beyond those themes that are really incredible. And so I think that richness and your work certainly adds to that. It's very compelling and adds to this idea of 
people in nature, in space. And what does that mean to be a human body in space? Not outer space, <laughs> the space of our planet, this Earth. Um, well, thank you again for being here with us today. And we loved hearing everything you had to say. So Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was really great. Great.